And uh, so now uh, we come to the Word of God, which uh, uh, Rob has read to us. And I have to confess that this morning the message has changed pretty dramatically from uh, what I had thought uh, we were going to be looking at specifically. But it's an introduction. I know that there are some people that are going to be uh, somewhat critical <laughs> of uh, what's going to happen this morning. And uh, you're very welcome to talk to me afterwards, but I have prayed about what we're going to be doing, and I believe sincerely that it is a good opportunity for us to encourage ourselves about what's going on in the world. Uh, We've been looking at Acts 2 for the last few weeks, and of course Acts 2 records the birth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked at uh, Jam when the birthday of the church was, And it was sad that even though we've been speaking as we have during the course of these uh, Sunday mornings, uh, that I had to give a lot of very heavy hints as to the fact that at Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church that we see of the Lord Jesus, the body of Christ, uh, we see the Holy Spirit being poured into people's lives and indwelling people. And so as we think of Pentecost, we think of the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit on that first Pentecost Sunday was made available to indwell men and women, boys and girls. And the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, was born on that day. And after Peter had stood up and he had given explanation, he said in verse 41 that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So what's taking place here? 3,000 people are joining the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. They're brought into it. They're part of it. I was reading the account of uh, Charles Price when he was preaching. He'd been uh, asked to go to uh, Zambia and to northwestern Zambia. And for a trip out, they took him to a little place where there was a, a damp patch on the brown earth. And then going down a very slight incline, this sort of damp patch suddenly begins to gather pace. And Charles says that he stood with one foot one side, one the other, and he realized that he was stood crossing the great Zambezi River, which about a thousand kilometers later crashes over the Victoria Falls. And we think Niagara is great, and I think Niagara is technically higher, but the difference with the Victoria Falls is it's two kilometers wide. And it started from that tiny little stream. And then, about three and a half thousand miles later, it gushes into the Indian Ocean. And wait for it, half a million liters of water cascade into the Indian Ocean every minute. This huge amount of water is rushing down. And as Charles stood there, he realized that that was a picture of Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit came into the lives of a small group of people, about 120, we're told. And then it grew, and on that first day, 3,000 are added. Not because Peter was a great preacher, but because the Holy Spirit filled the lives of the individuals that were listening. And they asked the questions, and we've gone through this the last uh, couple of weeks. What do we do? And he said, repent. Turn to the Savior. And that's what they needed to do. Now, the reason that I share this account of the little spring is to try and help us to understand of all that took place. I was reading, uh, there's a book that uh, is produced, I think it's biannually, maybe 
um, three, every three years, entitled Operation World. Has anybody heard or read or seen a copy of Operation World? Okay, thank you. A few people have. And I think it was Patrick Johnson that began to put it together. And all he felt he wanted to do was to begin to gather information about what was happening in the church around the whole world. And to be able to bring that information, he included things like unreached people groups, people that we've, you know, tribes we've never heard of. Uh, and, and he brought the details together and was able to say, and these people have been reached with the gospel. And they were able to come up with statistics. And one of them that I've read of just uh, recent, uh, by looking at Operation World's um, website, is that they believe there's around 35,000 people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ every day around the world. Now, we're not talking about people who are baptized into the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or the Reformed Church. That's not what this is talking about. The information that is being gathered is people who have recognized the need of the Savior. They've recognized the sin in their lives, and they have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that 35,000, it's reckoned that around 15,000 occur in China, because that's a huge part, a third of the world's population, or not quite, but nearly, in that one country. And it's a colossal amount. And you see the river, the beginning, that outpouring at Pentecost. 9 a.m., A.D. 33, Sunday morning. It's growing. And it's spreading around the world. And people's lives are caught up as they come to faith in the Savior, as the Holy Spirit works within them. It was exciting. I don't like mentioning names particularly, but there's a, a young man at the back who's uh, trying to get his, his little girl, I think, to settle down. And Alan's looking behind him, but it's you I'm talking about. So I came out of the bank in, uh, in Tilsonburg, and I was confronted by a man who was holding a placard, reminding people of the Savior, reminding them of their sin. Why does he do it? Because he has a desire to see the word of God reach into people's hearts and lives. And that's what this church is about. We continue to do this. Why? Because we have to. Because we have to. And we should pray for Alan and we thank you for the work that you're doing and the Lord bless you. But having poured out the Holy Spirit on these 3,000 people that are recorded for us here in Acts 2, the question is what happens next? What happened to these people who received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? How does the church consolidate and grow? How does it begin to gain the momentum? How does it flow through history? And so during the course of the remainder time today, and today is purely an introduction, and we've got an account to look at, a real situation, okay? And then next week and for a few weeks, we're going to talk about how this wonderful thing called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it's not a building, it's not even a fabric building, like, you know, we love our tent, but this isn't, this is, this is just a place to meet. The church are all of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, and you're still here, well, I'm grateful for you here, but you're not part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And that's a lesson that we need to learn and to understand. But we're going to discover during the course of the next few weeks 
how vital it is that we don't just go to church. I come across people who say to me, oh yeah, I go to church. I'm not interested in people that go to church. Nor's, nor's our God. He's interested in people who belong. Who belong to the body of Christ. That is the imperative for us. And so this is the message that we'll be looking at. Now today's message, as I say, is just a little bit different but I have believed that it is right, and I'll tell you what really confirmed it this morning, and that was that I looked at my BBC News app, and I saw that an airliner had crashed just outside Kathmandu in Nepal. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the fact that that has happened. There was only about 70 people on board this flight, and before I read, clicked on the article, I said to myself, Lord, there will be some people from Korea in this list, and sure enough, out of the people that had died, the BBC News apps, well, it didn't confirm that all of them had died, but it said, and there were two people from Korea. Now, how do you think I knew that already there would be people from Korea on an air flight, a plane coming into land in Kathmandu in Nepal? How could I possibly have seen that as being a, a, a possible outcome? Well, we're going to find out because it's exciting. And as I said, some of you are going to go away and say, well, I've been shortchanged this morning. I wanted to get stuck into the Word of God fully, properly. Well, we are, but it is good occasionally for us and with our young people here as well today that we're going to look at something uh, very, very um, uh, practical. And again, uh, it's a news app from the BBC. So the information that I have here is not written from a Christian perspective. So I, I hope that you begin to understand that and to see. And that's why there are some things in the wording that we have this morning that you might think are a little bit skewy, but, the, you know, if it's not written by a believer, but it's somebody who's written about what's going on in Nepal. I'm sorry that the... I was going to say turn the lights off, but we can't do that. I'll stand to one side at, with my book, if we may. So the place that we're going to talk about and look at is something quite incredible that has taken place and happened in the country of Nepal so the verse that we have at the top says, Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be stopped in the ministry and in the work that he is doing. He is going to build his church around the world, and it is being built. This is a picture of a group of people that are worshipping the Lord in Nepal. The dress that they have is the dress that people in Nepal wear. I'm going to just read some details now for you. Converting people to another religion is illegal in Nepal, but missionaries are willing to risk prosecution to share the Christian faith. And this has not changed throughout the history of the church. People are prepared to step out to make a stand, not for themselves, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that means, and we see this as we read the scriptures so often, if that means persecution, they are prepared to go through that persecution because of a desire to preach the gospel. Victory to Jesus, the Korean pastor, Pang Chang In, cries as he blesses a new church in the village of Jehalang in the foothills of the Himalayas. If there's anybody that speaks Nepali here this morning and you want to help me with the pronunciation afterwards, please do so. The congregation of the newly converted raise their hands in prayer and praise to the Christian God. Most are from the indigenous Tamang community who used to follow the Lama faith, an ancient spiritual practice 
very similar and based on Buddhism from the Dalai Lama. And of course, Buddhism doesn't really believe there's a heaven or a hell, but it believes that we can be enlightened through our own uh, desire within ourselves and by meditation. Be very careful of Eastern mysticism. It affects us, transcendental meditation, uh, yoga as well, has all elements of it. Be careful with it. So a miracle takes place and the whole village is converted, he says. And you're thinking here, well, you know, we've been praying for Norwich for a long time. Missionaries, many of them from South Korea, like Pang, have helped build one of the world's fastest growing Christian communities here in Nepal, a former Hindu kingdom and the birthplace of Lord Buddha. Most of the surge in Christian numbers in Nepal is from among members of the community who call themselves Dalits, traditionally those at the bottom of the Hindu caste hierarchy, or of course from the indigenous people. So we can go to the next slide now, please. Here's the statistics that are coming out. Pang has overseen the opening of nearly 70 churches in the two decades that he and his wife have been working in Nepal. The community, he says, donates the land and the Korean church back at home helps pay for the construction. And in almost every mountain village, churches are being built, Pang claims. Remember, this is written by a guy from the BBC. And the BBC is not known for its overtly supporting uh, the, the Christian cause. The article says that may be an exaggeration, but there's no doubt that there has been a huge increase in the number of churches all over Nepal in recent years. The latest data from the National Christian Community Survey says that there are now 7,758 churches in the still overwhelmingly Hindu country. And South Korea is behind much of this transformation. It has become one of the world's biggest sending, missionary sending nations. Only a couple of decades ago after it started deploying them. And now Korean churches have over 22,000 missionaries abroad. According to the Korean World Mission Association. Driven by the zeal of the born again. Korean missionaries have become known for aggressively going to and sometimes being expelled from the hardest to reach evangelized corners of the world. Could we have the next thing? Thank you. So this is Pastor Chang In and his wife Lee Young Hee, who have been in Nepal for 20 years. Nepal is now a secular state. Some of you will remember that in about 2015 the king abdicated because it had been a, a, a monarchy for quite a long time up until that point. And uh, there's a constitution which does, so it says, enshrines religious freedom. However, an anti-conversion law that came into force in 2018 means that anybody can be convicted of encouraging someone to change their faith and they can face up to five years in prison. Isn't it incredible how, as the work of God takes place, in communities and in a country, so too we find that the enemy is at work to try and hinder it. And the government here in, uh, in Nepal have introduced laws to try and stop the spread of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church. Let's say it out loud. I will build my church. No one's going to stop it.
Pastor Pang says, we are always working with the anxiety and nervousness we feel from the anti-conversion law, says his wife, Pang's wife, Lee Yong-hee. But we can't stop the spread of the gospel because of this fear. We will not stop preaching the word of God. What would we do if our government introduced a law that said, you can practice your religion, but you can't share the gospel with other people? Is it possible that that could happen? Yes, it is. Are we ready for it? No, we're not. The couple used to be bankers. Where are the Taves? <laughs> so now you could picture Anna doing a selfie video on the uh, north face of, the, of Everest. And she's, I'm on my way to preach the gospel to a little tribe. And uh, John and Julia are at home around the yak um, uh, fire, knitting more woolly hats and gloves so that everybody can go out and preach the gospel. The couple used to be bankers. Lee Yong Hee says it was her husband who first received God's calling. And shortly after, God beckoned us to move to Nepal 20 years ago. They arrived in 2003. Sorry, when they arrived in 2003, a Hindu royal family uh, was still, had absolute charge of, of the country. I was shocked to see so many idols being worshipped, said Pang. I felt Nepal was in a desperate need for the gospel. This being the golden age of missionary work, Pang declares. He and his wife are part of the community of around 300 Korean missionary families currently in Nepal. In Kathmandu, the Korean community is largely clustered around the southern suburbs of the capital. None of the congregations are, are official, sorry, none of the congregation are officially missionaries. They're on business or study visas. Some run restaurants and others have registered charities. In the weeks we spent with the Korean Missionary Church, Pang and his wife were the only ones willing to speak openly. I'm open to sharing what God is doing in Nepal, says Pang. He doesn't view their work as breaking the law. Now, why would you think he doesn't view his work as breaking the law? Okay. Sorry. Um, no. <laughs> well, sort of. He says this. Our missionary work is not just about us. God is doing the work. We'd like to show how God works through us to create miracles in Nepal. And his defense when he was taken before the, the, the court was that it wasn't he that converted anybody. All he did was share the gospel. And God, and the court accepted it. In 1951, there were no Christians in Nepal. So think back to Pentecost, that little spring of water. In 1951, there were no Christians in Nepal. And just 458 in 1961. 
But by 2011, there were nearly 360,000. And the latest census estimates that the Christian community is now around 545,000 people. Can we have the next slide, please? Yeah, here we are. So this man is uh, um, Kamal Thapa, and he's the Deputy Prime Minister of Nepal. And he says this, it's spreading like wildfire. <laughs> Our cultural identity is at stake. Christian ministries, missionaries should be locked up. So the government are concerned about the fact that people's lives are changing. And one of the things that's changing is that little villages are suddenly finding that they have a better standard of living. The people who were trodden on, this Dalek group of people, because under Hinduism you probably realize that they have a caste system and you have the Brahmins at the top. And you're, if you're born into that class, you remain in that class. And if you're right at the bottom, the Daleks, you're treated like dirt. And God doesn't treat anybody like that. Missionaries are working behind the scenes, exploiting the poor, so Kamal says, and the ignorant people, and encouraging them to convert to Christianity. This is not a case of religious freedom. This is a case of exploitation in the name of religion, he says. He is lobbying for Nepal to return to being a Hindu state. He supports the introduction of the anti-conversion law and would like to see it being enforced properly. It's only Christians who have been charged under the law. But no one has been convicted. Cases have either been thrown out due to a lack of evidence or defendants have been acquitted on appeal. There are currently five cases, according to the Nepal Christian Society, that are still in court. Let's go to the next slide, please. Pastor Dili Ram Pudel, who heads the Nepal Christian Society, was one of the first people to be questioned under the law. He was accused in, uh, in April 2018 of bribing people to convert, something he strongly denies. Charges against him were also later dropped. He said this, we're accused of converting people, but wait for it, but that power is not in our hands, he says. If it was, he goes on to say, then I could convert my mum. She's 92. I can give her money. I can pray for her. But I can't convert her because conversion should come from Jesus. He comes from a devout Hindu family and was ordained as a Hindu priest like 21 generations of his family before him. In his 20s, he went to study in Korea and that was where he was introduced to the Christian faith. His testimony reads like this, I was alone and friendless, he recalls. And then some people gave me a Bible in the Nepali language. And if you've ever thought to yourself, the word of God is not powerful, listen to this. Somehow they found the Nepali language Bible. He says, I read it in one night and I found my creator. Does it seem funny and not believable, he says? 
Well, that happened to me. And he says it with a smile. The next picture is a picture of him when he was a young man as a priest in the Buddhist tradition. On his return from Korea to Nepal, he was ostracized by his family. They said Christianity was a foreign religion. And some people said that I was mad and that I'd lost my memory. Each year, more than 2,000 Nepali students traveled to Korea to study. A Korean missionary who spoke on condition of anonymity says they try to connect with local churches in Korea. Doing evangelical work within Nepal is a challenge, so we have alternative ways, he said. Our mission is to convert, as Pastor Dili Ram Pudel was a Hindu priest when he was younger. Any souls we can, we, so we must remain undercover. Pang and his wife help run a seminar school in Kathmandu. There are around 50 students currently studying. Korean church donors mostly cover the cost of their education and board. One of them, if we change the slide please, 22-year-old Sapana comes from the remote Tamang village in Singang. And she says, my father loathed Christians as he believed we shouldn't forget our traditions. And this evening we're going to talk about traditions and the fact that we've got to be careful about them. She says it was her uncle who introduced her to Christianity when he was gravely ill. She claims she was healed after, after converting. I want to live for Jesus. Someone finally loved me, she says. Remote villages like hers are the new frontier of Christian missionaries like Pang Chang In. In the cities and the anti-conversion laws, uh, sorry, in the cities the anti-conversion law feels much more real. But in the countryside there is less eyes watching, says Pang. Sangpana graduated from the seminary late last year. She now plans to return to her mountain village to do this to slowly grow and push youth to be part of the church. I will go to new places and I will spread the message of Jesus to those who have not heard it before. Pang Chang in admits the spreading of the gospel will clash with existing religion and cultures, but the people need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the final picture is uh, just to make sure we know where uh, this country is. And the reason I've done this, as I said, it's not what I'd usually do, and I think it's the first time ever that we've changed the message to just give factual information about something that's happened. But there are times when we need to be encouraged and we need to be able to see what's happened. So this is India, and right at the top of India are the Himalayas. And the, uh, the, the country of Nepal is is uh, between China and India and uh, it's a very mountainous region and the gospel is spreading to every part of the globe because the word of God tells us that this is what's going to happen. The little country next to it is called Bhutan and this country uh, is one that you've probably never heard of. I've met a person from Bhutan 
and they showed me their passport and it was a single piece of paper not like our little booklets that we get with a photograph and the king had signed it personally because it's a country that is still uh, um, a, 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 a monarchy the king says what happens and what he says happens and so this group of people are also being reached but you've got to be very careful what takes place in Bhutan at the moment but the reality is is that the gospel is spreading it's a wild fire and it can't be put out but here's the interesting thing in the year 1900 there was only a handful of believers in Korea and then the Welsh revival began in about 1905 1904 1905 and out of the Welsh revival the revival started here in North America and here in Ontario the revival was incredibly powerful and as I've said in in about 1920 you wouldn't have got a seat in a church if you were late you had to stand and the gospel continued the revival continued to spread and it spread to Korea a number of other places as well in the world and by about 1947 the church in Korea had absolutely grown beyond all understanding of, of anything possible that could happen and now you have South Korea as a country in Asia and Asia is a tough place you know it's right next door to China it's next door to Japan and out of this country God is bringing people to share the gospel now wouldn't it be great if Canada was one of the countries that was doing this but we're not perhaps the opportunity for us in Canada has come to an end because the Lord is returning and we won't see revival in the way we have seen and we see in other countries taking place but that doesn't stop us from doing what we believe is right and here in this fellowship we're determined to continue to see the gospel proclaimed clearly I close with just a few verses of scripture if you've got a Bible please turn with me they're all very easy to find in the gospels and uh, Rob had read the first one to us but we turn to Matthew's Gospel this time chapter 8 and verse 11 and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven this is the whole world and then we turn to Matthew 24. Good practice to uh, turn the pages of our Bible. Somebody said to me, but I don't turn the pages of my Bible. I've got a phone app. And I think that's a shame. <laughs> but I'm old-fashioned. 24 verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come if you're not saved what we've looked at this morning should start to frighten you witless because this gospel has continued relentlessly around the whole world and the word of God says when that task is completed I'm coming we turn to uh, uh, Matthew 24 verse 14 I'm oh, sorry I've read that one uh, turn to Mark now Mark's gospel 
and uh, Mark 11. verse 17 then he taught saying to them is it not written my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations and then we turn to Mark 16 and verse 15 and he said to them go into all the world And preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. The gospel into all the world. Luke 9. And verse 60. Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. 24.47, Luke 24.47. Thus it is written, and thus was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things behold I send the promise of my father upon you the Holy Spirit let's pray Father we just thank you for that pastor and his wife, and we don't know the details of who was involved in this air crash and why it should happen. But Lord, if it would please you and that those that survived were those Korean missionaries, we pray that that would be your will. But Father, we come before you and we just thank you for the encouragement that we've seen this morning to recognize that... From that first Pentecost, what was unleashed was the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the name of Jesus. And to this day, just in these last few moments, we have been able to see yet again how your church is growing. And we thank you for those 7,753 churches that have been opened in a country that until 1951 not one single Nepali believer was known of. And we would have said it's impossible, but nothing is impossible for you. And so we come this morning and we pray for that church, we pray for our brothers and sisters there, and we pray for those that are struggling with the law that prohibits the evangelism that is taking place, or so they believe it does. And yet we thank you, Father, graciously that this group of missionaries continue to preach the gospel even in the face of adversity. We pray for the Deputy Prime Minister and his desire to lock up all missionaries and we ask, Lord, that he would not be given power to override. And we pray, Lord, that there would be more opportunities for people. And Father, we thank you for that country of Korea and we look at Korea and we see that it's an economic power and it's come from nowhere and yet is there a correlation between that 
and the fact that 46% of its population would call themselves evangelical Christians. And we come and we look at our own country where so pathetically few, it seems now, would declare themselves for you. And we see a country which is determined to walk away from you, to turn its back on you, to turn its back on your word, to instigate the wholesale putting to death of people, in many cases seen as one way of dealing with the social problems in our country. Father, we're so saddened by this. And we pray that there would indeed be revival, that you graciously would visit us again, and that we would as a church here even be one, perhaps one of a very small number, but would be prepared to pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in revival power, and that we would see people, men and women, boys and girls, brought face to face with the need as that man in Nepal read the Bible and he said, I met my creator. And I pray for anybody here this morning who has not met their creator, Jesus, face to face, that they would do, that you graciously would work in their hearts, but that they would call out to you for their salvation as we're commanded to do so in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.